And welcome to the Actual Astronomy Podcast, episode 34. Uh, I think we're going to do two. We're going to do uh, an observing update. This will be 34, and then we'll do our, uh, we'll stop that one and do the next one, which will be our uh, things to observe in the nighttime sky. But uh, so I'm Chris, and with me is Shane, and we're amateur astronomers, and we do uh, these podcasts as, uh, as our conversation. We, we have these conversations anyway. And it was Shane's idea to say, hey, why don't we just record these as a podcast? We used to do one years ago, and uh, this has actually been a lot of fun and a lot easier than uh, making up uh, some pretty complicated content like we did before. But how was your week, Shane? It was good. Um, did a little observing, not as much as I had originally planned. I was hoping to get to the grasslands, but I think we covered that off in the last podcast that yeah. uh, that trip didn't work out for me. However, I uh, was able to get a little bit of backyard observing in, which is quite enjoyable. How about yeah. you? How was your week? Yeah, pretty pretty good. I got back from the grasslands. Like I mentioned, I had uh, unfortunately uh, cut the trip short for some extremely minor surgery. So I've, I've actually got some uh, couple pretty good rows of stitches in my back now. So when I go to the beach, I can tell people it's where I had my angel wings removed. <laughs> Should be pretty good. Yeah, very believable. Very mm. Believable for anybody that knows you. Exactly, exactly. But uh, but yeah, and I, I mean, we did cover it off a little bit in in the last episode. But yeah, it, it seemed like the park wasn't uh, wasn't like trying to encourage tons and tons of people to to go down and uh, and interact. I guess you know when when I talked to uh, one of our good friends down there, uh, she told me that uh, that yeah, like sometimes people were just like walking up and talking to her and that, and then of course you know, sometime later, you know, you get a, some sneezing and some sniffling or something like that. And you think, oh, no, like, did I, you know, encounter somebody who had it too close or something like that. So it's, it's been a bit of a stressor down there for folks. So I, I can understand that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the park is, is there. It's beautiful, as always. Saw some wildlife that we, that we talked about. But uh, yeah, now that I'm back and kind of on the road to recovery, I've been out doing, doing some observing. But uh, maybe we'll start with you. What did you get out and look at Friday night? And what kind of equipment were you using? Uh, Friday night, I took out the Takahashi 76 DCU refractor. Um, earlier in the week, though, my Q extender finally arrived. Oh, so wow. That's I, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So the Q extender, well, the, the, the 76 DCU is a uh, modular sort of telescope. It, the, the tube is kind of threaded together right in the middle. Um, it comes apart for very compact packing for travel, but you can also insert this Q extender, which turns it into like a, from a doublet into like a quad refractor. Um, and it extends or it's a, it's a, uh, yeah, it's an extender of 1.7 times. So it takes the focal length from 570 to like 969, I think. So it's something yeah. like it, it takes your, your 76 or three inch refractor from a, about a F seven and a half to around, I think I, I read like an F 12 or 12 and a half or something like that. So a pretty long focal ratio uh, refractor, pretty good for planets though, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. So Friday night, my plan was to look at the planets, um, the moon, and uh, try to pull out some double stars if I could. Mm -hmm. So I started with the moon. I think that night it was about maybe 15% illuminated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess I should talk a little bit about the weather. It was hot and humid that yeah, night. Yeah, our, our humidity has been deadly. Like, um, I think 
like I was on the fence, as you know, like you were kind of like, hey, are we going or not? I'm like, I'm not really, I don't know, <laughs> because I was, I was doing well on Friday. And then I was after all the humidity, I was kind of like, just, I think that just kind of put me over the edge to say, you know what, I think I'll wait another day to kind of restart my, my astronomical adventures. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to just live to fight another day. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. Uh, my uh, former observing partner, Tim used to say that all the time when, uh, when I would, would fall ill with uh, some of these things. So, but yeah, it, you know, it was very humid. Were there a lot of bugs out? Yeah. Yeah. There was some bugs. So actually I, t- I tested my, my mosquito clothing that I bought last year. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, that's that no fly zone stuff that uh, I think Mark sells it. Okay, uh, I'm not sure what the technology is, but like it's lined with something natural that um, just keeps the mosquitoes away. And then I think it lasts up to 70 washes or something like that. And then whatever that substance is is out of the clothing, and and then you just have regular clothing. You don't have mosquito repellent anymore. But the idea is that you don't have to spray yourself you know, full of chemical to keep, uh, to keep the bugs away. Huh. Uh, and how did it work? Well, I think it worked pretty good, but okay. um, it's long sleeved. So, uh, you know, none were landing on my upper body, but I was still getting some bites on my legs. I was wearing shorts. And, oh. uh, and so, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, it didn't keep all of me protected. That's for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know. The, the jury is still out. I need to, I need to test that a little bit more, but anyway, that's, that's that's boring stuff talking about clothing um <laughs> astronomical so, attire for all occasions <laughs> yeah. so i started off with the moon and seeing was not bad um but it got progressively better as the night went on yeah uh, nothing too outstanding to report on the moon other than i spent some time just going back and forth between uh, some real simple eyepieces, um, you know, some orthoscopics, so like three or four element eyepieces, uh, up to like my Leica Zoom, which has like a bazillion glass elements in there. I'm not sure how many, um, as well as some wide field eyepieces. Mm-hmm. And I was just really looking for like the subtle differences, if I could detect them at all, mm-hmm. you know, between kind of these modern wide field eyepieces versus the simpler glass that's a little bit older. Yeah, yeah. So what to find out? I'm I'm quite curious about this. These these are sort of the experiments which I enjoy. Yeah. So uh, you know, I've done this other times, um, like with my um uh my Zeiss telemeter, which is a 60 millimeter, uh well, 63 millimeter objective, 800 millimeter focal length refractor. Mm-hmm. And with both telescopes now, um, I've I've had the same results. And that's that those orthoscopics are just a little bit crisper. Like hmm. the detail just jumps out at me a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, the, the contrast is a little bit tighter. Like it's almost like the seeing improves a little bit. Um, and the blacks I find are just a little bit darker as well. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, starting off that way, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to stick with the orthos for the rest of the night okay. Um, because I just felt like they were giving me the best view, not as comfortable as the modern eyepieces. You know, the modern eyepieces have a wider field of view. Yeah. Uh, They have better eye relief. So for guys like you and I that wear eyeglasses, you know, the the modern eyepieces are just better. Um, 
so from there I went on to Jupiter and Jupiter was a little bit low in the sky and it was boiling quite a bit. So the seeing, you know, wasn't that great in the mm -hmm. lower part of the, the sky, but then probably around 1130 Jupiter, I don't know how high it was, 30 degrees, maybe 40 degrees uh, above the horizon at that point. And um, it was quite good. It was actually really good. Okay. And I was able to pull out, you know, the equatorial belts quite easily. Um, I think I wasn't actually paying attention to the Galilean moons. I think there was just three visible that night, but mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Um, a number of the other like uh, polar belts and regions and like a lot of um, kind of brownish striations uh, amongst the like kind of the whiter clouds, I guess. Yeah. And what I've been meaning to do is look at Chris Goh's photograph from that night, because what really stood out to me was in the, um, the Northern equatorial belt, there's like a real dark feature in there. Um, that was pretty much face on that night when I was observing. I don't know if you've noticed that recently in your observations of Jupiter. Oh, I'm trying to remember, but it, were you, was the red spot visible when you were observing? No, no, it wasn't visible. Then I, like, I've been observing when the red spot's been visible. So it may be that it's on the other side, but it sounds uh -huh. like what you're describing could be, uh, I believe those are classified as a barge type feature. Um, okay. But now I want to, now I want to take a look. Um, so if it's clear tonight, I, I may try to get out again. I'm pretty tired today. Did a pretty late session last night. So. Right, right. Yeah, so that was kind of neat. Um, so I did a little more experimenting. I also pulled out my uh, Bader contrast booster filter. Oh, yeah. Um, I think we talked about that on a recent podcast. That, yeah, I uh, bought one too. I just haven't, uh, for whatever reason, I haven't, haven't threaded it in. I was going to ask you about that. So can I, first of all, were you able to try the 5XO uh, that uh, you have on, on loan for me? No, no, I was going to, but the seeing really wasn't holding up much okay. past, um, what did I do? I, I put a seven millimeter in, Okay. Uh, you know, so with that focal length, let me just It's pretty, that. yeah, it's a that's lot pretty, of power. A lot of power. And that seemed to be the, the limiting factor that, yeah, that's 138 times. So, um, I, and it was starting to break down a little bit at that point. So I actually yeah. backed it off to the nine millimeter uh, oh, okay. around a hundred times. And that was quite nice. Yeah, the the main reason why I ask is um, I have your five millimeter uh, Nikon, and uh, I just want to I, I just want to make sure that you're good with me uh, retaining that for for a little while longer. I've I've quite enjoyed it actually. Uh, have used it uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, good, good. So, but um, I wanted to check because I I didn't want to play around with threading filters on it too much. But there's no problem with threading filters onto that eyepiece because it's a different sort of like a custom eyepiece sort of a rare eyepiece and i didn't want to go and start threading stuff on there just but it shouldn't have any trouble threading filters onto that eyepiece correct have you tried any filters on there or uh no i don't believe i've tried is it uh, threaded for filters i haven't looked you'd have to look i, I just okay. assume it would be um, all right yeah it seems like most in just about anything modern um you know has the, the filter threads so give it a try hopefully it's, okay it's, it's good right. to go well yeah i mean it's you know i really like the i really like the eyepiece i really do like it a lot it's small it's light i like the ergonomics of it it's really flat across the top but it's got that weird uh set of caps um <laughs> very weird what 
they they were thinking when they designed the cap system for it. Um, eyepiece caps that, that did not need a redesign. Never did I ever say, "Boy, eyepiece caps." If only they were attached with elastics to each other. <laughs> like literally keep, I keep losing the one cap. If only they were attached. <laughs> if only, if only they looked like one of those little old timey hats people wore, uh, you know, like, like, a, <laughs> like so I, I think you're drawn to eyepieces though, with weird caps because those Pentax XWs, uh, yeah, the top wrong. caps are atrocious. <laughs> like why even, why even have a cap? They just fall off all the time. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. That's not great either. But uh, yeah, why? Why, yeah. why design these caps this way? And the caps <laughs> only go on one way. So you have to like, you kind of have to think about it when you do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and then like exactly. the top cap doesn't really stay on well. So it's not like right. they they created this this system and it works. It works quite well, but you know, no, no, it doesn't really even work that well. So. I I think it was designed by a marketing team so that it looks great on a shelf and in the images in the magazines, but in practicality, it just does not work. Yeah. And, and so strange too, because I feel like these are, are, you know, amateur astronomy is a niche hobby. Um, And this is a niche eyepiece in a niche hobby. So who like, there's nobody on the face of the earth that's going to look and go, hmm, interesting eyepiece cap. I'll pick one of those up. Like, that's, <laughs> this is not what that eyepiece is, right? It's no, like, not at all. Not yeah. At all. So, so anyway, you, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Different, different direction. But. Yeah. So I, I put the contrast booster filter in there and it lived up to its name. It, mm-hmm. I believe it really did improve the contrast in particular uh, it really brought out the the equatorial belts or anything that had that brown creamy tone to it mm. just seemed more vibrant when I put that filter in. Mm. And I went back and forth. You know, I would put the filter in, I would take it out, put it in, take it out. Uh, and I did it at, uh, or using a few different eyepieces to change the magnification. And I felt like every, every time that filter was in there, it was just a little bit better. Yeah. Now, are you missing any great details by not having that filter? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, now, maybe on a night of outstanding seeing, maybe it would help you see a little bit more. I'm not sure. I, you know, I'll continue to use it and test it. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I like most about it, uh, which many people have commented online, is that it's, it presents the planet in, in still mostly in like a neutral color. Like if you use a blue filter, well, Jupiter now looks blue, which is obviously not natural. Um, so that's why I've kind of hated some of those color filters in the past is, yeah. you know, it, it just, it changes the entire experience because it's no longer natural, but the contrast booster really retains that, that natural. Appearance. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I keep meaning to, I keep meaning to try it. Um, I really should it just, you know, my, my approach to, to astronomy, it, I think it, it is a little bit different where like, I do really enjoy like talking about gear and looking at gear and then, you know, getting the gear and kind of, I don't really enjoy kind of futzing with it to get it working properly. I just kind of want it to work when I get out there. And then when I'm out there again, like I'm, a, I'm sort of a three eyepiece kind of observer and I kind of just want it to be super easy, just eyepiece in mm-hmm. eyepiece out, take a couple of adapters so that I'm not messing around with things too much and off to the races. Like, 
um, you know, so threading filters on and off, even though I have tons of filters and I do like to use them. I just, once I get out there and start observing, sometimes I'm just like, you know what? I'm just observing. I'm not messing with filters because messing with filters is messing with filters and observing is, is observing. So yeah, yeah I totally I, agree. Especially well, these know, nights where they're so darn short, you know, we get like, you know, yeah. a few hours. So. Yeah. Well, and here's another shout out to the, uh, the little orthoscopics I was using. So they're 0.965 inch eyepiece barrel, mm. uh, which means I have to use an adapter to step them up to 1.25 inch to fit, you know, modern equipment. Um, so what I did, I had two of those adapters. So I put the filter in one and it was just easy to kind of swap the adapter in and out oh, okay. uh, as opposed to threading the filter in and out. Cause I totally agree. Threading filters in and out I don't do it. Either the filter lives in there the whole yeah, night or there's right. no filter because it's just a pain. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Cause you just, you want to observe and you know, cause you, you can spend a lot of time going back and forth with the filters. Like, Oh yeah. It doesn't seem like this should be, but everything at night, you know, and, and for people that haven't done that much observing under dark skies, everything at night, I mean, you're, you're tired, you're moving slower you know, sometimes it's colder, it's, it's dark. Like we don't use a lot of lights when we set up and tear down. Like I, in fact, will use often no lights. Like I had enough light pollution last night that it was lighting things up enough, but you have to be careful and go slower. You don't want to put fingers on lenses and that sort of thing. So, you know, if, if I was in my living room and setting up a telescope, it takes me two or three minutes, but on the night sky, it's more like maybe eight to 12 minutes. So um, everything is just that much slower and, you know, it's meant to be a relaxing thing, right? Like it's not, it's like no, there's, there's no prize for setting up or tearing down your stuff fast enough. But, uh, yeah, when it comes to messing around too much beyond that, sometimes I'm just like, you know, I just want to get things set up, have a great hour or two and then, and then head home. So yeah. 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 I'm very similar. Cool. So uh, what a, else did you look at? I had a quick look at Saturn, uh, but Saturn was trailing Jupiter. It was a little bit lower. So it was in that area of not so good seeing. Yeah. Uh, and I really didn't spend much time uh, with Saturn. I thought I'll, I'll wait. I'll, I'll have some better days ahead with that planet. Mm -hmm. So then I st uh, uh, can't talk. I decided to tackle a double star that I have not looked at before. And it was in the Bright Star Atlas 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, Will Tyrion and Brian Skiff. Um, I thought, you know, with the little 76 millimeter telescope that this is a, kind of a neat little atlas to go off of in the backyard. And they recommended, um, it's, it's Delta Cygnus or Cygni, uh, which I think, what is the name of that? Al Ferwaris is the name of that star. Um, so Cygnus the Swan is the Northern Cross. Um, if you if you look at the star that forms like kind of the, the cross point, uh, but it's the, the star that's going towards Zenith, um, that's Delta Cygni. And um, is that the one in the middle? Like right in the middle? No, no, no. Go okay. up from there. Basically, uh, oh, okay. If, if, when looking east. Yeah. Okay. And man, that is a very close pair that was kind of difficult to, to split, uh, given the, the seeing that night. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the bright stars 2.91, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in terms of magnitude and its companion was 6.27. Um, but they're separated by just, uh, um, oh, what the heck is this here? 
I'll have to look up the separation. Um, but anyway, it was kind of a challenge for that little telescope. And I think that that is actually a, a, probably a good double star to keep in the back pocket uh, to, to take a look at just to see how good or bad the seeing is. You know, I yeah. think if you could probably split that one fairly easily, you know that seeing is going to be decent that night. You know, if you struggle a little bit, eh, you know, maybe the seeing's not so good. And I think, you know, in, in saying that, I think the seeing actually was pretty good that night, but that humidity really kind of impacted the transparency of the sky mm -hmm. uh, and probably a little bit of the seeing, I guess, to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, I noticed that like, I ended up getting up pretty early the next day. I looked crazy early, but like I got up and went for a walk at like seven and it was almost completely cloudy. It made me wonder if, if all that uh, moisture in the air just kind of condensed together um, over the, over the city or something. So you might've been experiencing some of that as well. Cause it was, it was almost completely overcast when I got up. Yeah. Yeah. That very well could have been. So all in all, it was a decent night. Um, nice. I was hoping to observe Saturday, but my wife uh, and I decided to have a backyard fire instead. So cool. that, that dashed the observing plans, but I think you were out Saturday night. So what did you have a look at? Yeah. So I got out, um, I've got this spot. It's funny. I, I found it probably seven or eight years ago. And I don't know that you've ever been out to this spot with me. It's just about uh, seven or eight minute drive from my house. Did I ever take you out to that spot? I don't think so. And Mike's, Mike's come out there maybe once or twice with me. And it's, uh, it's a funny spot because it's so close to my house. It's absolutely the best closest spot to any place that I've ever lived. It's actually a pretty darn good little spot. Now you got lots to the North and I stopped using it two years ago because they were building uh, the big bypass around the city. And they were actually like, it was so lit up at that time that I figured that this spot was just done. I, I thought that I would never use it again. And there's been some other construction in and, in and around the area. Um, people have built houses and they've put up all kinds of different things in the area. And I thought it would be a write-off, but uh, actually doesn't impact the spot uh, as much as I thought it would. Once they got the major work done on the highway recently and they, they just sort of finished up that section. Um, the lights are all full cut off and because of the orientation of where this land is and it's on a bit of a, <coughs> excuse me, on a bit of a rise. Okay. That um, it, it just sort of points away from that stuff, from all that light. So it's not too bad. Really nice view to the south. Can see the Milky Way, and yeah, it's like about thirty or forty feet up on, up on this rise. Pretty nice, uh, pretty nice spot. But I, I go onto this side road. It's not even a road; it's just a dirt track, and it's wide because they bring all this farm machinery. It's just a farming road, and they don't typically. I've never seen them farming out there at night, but I've been out there during the day and like had to pull way off, and they've driven by and like big machinery and that, but. Uh, the canola is getting pretty high out there or whatever it is. It's in the field. I think it's, I think it's canola or something like that. Now, typically it's like knee high or something, or maybe a little bit higher, but now it's like up to your armpits. Like it's really oh, deep. Wow. And this road is wide. It's maybe like 15 or 16 feet wide. But other than that, everything in there is like pretty deep and it kind of falls away from the road. So Although when you're set up, you're looking, you know, it, you know, it only seems like it's maybe just above knee height or whatever, that the field itself is maybe a foot to, to three feet below um, where you're walking around on this road. 
So, you know, it's like, it's pretty deep because when uh, the field gets harvested, there's like access points. And sometimes I'll just sort of drive onto the access point, never drive onto a farmer's field or get in the crops or anything, but like there's spots where they access the field. You can kind of just sort of park in and, you know, set your scope up on the side of the road there. It's pretty handy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a little bit nerve wracking to be, to be out there. Cause you never know what kind of animals and that could be, you know, kind of lurking and it's right there, you know, and it's, it's super deep. I didn't hear or see anything, but it's always kind of in the back of your mind. Um, maybe there's a badger or coyotes. Often I do hear the coyotes out there and, um, you know, it could be cougars in the area. I did see a cougar going along the creek one day and that creek is only about uh, maybe a hundred meters from where I'm setting up. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's that, there's that too. Always in the, always in the back. You should come out here and, and go to the spot though. And I think you'd be surprised how good it is, especially to the South. Cause you can really see uh, the Milky way and it's totally flat out there. It's, it's a bit of a rise. So you kind of drive by it on like one of the main highways and even like the major trans Canada highway that, that goes, goes across Canada um but and you can't quite see this spot like it there's just this little rise and so for the number of years i never even thought to go out there just it's like invisible right you know and a good observing spot isn't going to have like giant neon signs pointing to it you know (laughs) so so like i i would go out there and drive around to go find a good spot to see the northern lights like with my wife and and this road is is pretty good and what happened was they were doing construction once and i ended up on on a road that um that sort of met up with it and when i and you turn onto it and drive only you know maybe 50 or 100 feet um i thought wow that's a really good road i wonder where it goes and eventually i went and and uh, drove up it i was like like there's not not much up there there's a couple like it's there's farms but they're the farms that are like the closest farms to the city and then they're just fields all the way into the city and it's totally flat but it's a rise and it's always nice to be a little bit higher up because if there is like a little bit of ground fog and that around uh, that area isn't uh, isn't as impacted, but it's it's super open. Like there's there's no hardly any trees up there. There's a couple around a few of the farmsteads that are miles away, and but you get that whole like you you can see the entire night sky. I would say, you know, minus you know maybe a fraction of a percent, you see the whole night sky. So, for example, this is. Um, you know, maybe about 10 kilometers from my house. And there's the new highway uh, overpass for Albert Street way down on the on the new bypass. So you kind of know where that is. And yeah, yeah. I when I was watching the moon naked eye, I could see it pass behind that overpass from there. Oh, wow. So that's, that's super far. But the way the land is angled, you can't see any of the cars on the highway. The odd time you can kind of see one. But just uh, sort of at an angle and they seem, it seems like it kind of like it's pretty far from there. And there's another highway nearby and you can hear the cars on the other highway, but you can't see the headlights or anything. So it, it kind of interrupts the the silence. It's a really quiet spot, but uh, you know, it's hard to believe um, seven, eight minutes, it's, you know, hardly anything of a drive. And uh, you know, I can get pretty close to sixth magnitude out there. So uh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's, I do. Um, I do need to check it out. Yeah, yeah, you should uh, should swing by. I think that's about as good as you can get this close to to a major city. So, um, yeah. yeah, I could watch the moon set. 
Uh, really great spot for catching planets when they're on horizon because if you can't see them there, you can't see them, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of like the rule because um, it is so flat. You have this essentially perfect horizon. And I could even see like the Milky Way uh, division that cuts up into the top part of Ophiuchus there through the old constellation, antiquated constellation of Taurus Poniatowski. So you can you can see like like structure, good structure in the Milky Way. It's not as good as it is from like our best places. Um, couldn't quite see M7 naked eye, but I could see it quite well through the telescope. And uh, and the comet, unfortunately, was in the worst part of the sky. So I did get a view of it. I really didn't, I looked at it where it was in the, in the software before I left, but I didn't take a chart because it's been so bright, and especially from where I've been observing recently, it was, it was so bright from, from the darkest skies. Um, when I got out there, you, there was, you could not see that naked eye. So I put the telescope on and, you know, I just sort of panned up and I, I was fortunate I got it right away. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really muted. It was in the absolute worst part of, of the sky out there. So didn't really get that much of a view. And it's, it's starting to get pretty faint there now too, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I did, uh, I did have a look at the comet uh, as well on Friday night. I forgot to mention that too. Hmm. And what did you think? Faint, it's getting faint, I think. A lot fainter. Yeah, it's, you know, what it actually reminded me of um, was that Comet Holmes from a few years ago that was just like kind of a bright fuzzy ball without a tail. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't see the tail anymore from the city. Uh, it was just a, a very bright, diffuse ball of, you know, light. In, yeah. In the sky well, it's there. funny you should say that because... Uh, there were some reports coming in today. I, have, I haven't seen uh, the images, but um, an experienced observer was, was asking for some observations. Um, and they said that there's uh, some indication that that nucleus might be breaking up, which is what uh, Comet Holmes did. Because it is a very tight nucleus, and then it kind of um, has that haze around it. But I did notice that that nucleus seemed to have been uh, much larger last night. Uh, much less star-like. Like originally, it was very star-like, and maybe maybe that comet is coming apart after all. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe this was its uh, swan song, unfortunately. So, so but, yeah, but is is how quickly that thing faded. You know, it went from this bright naked eye object to no longer visible by naked eye within like a day. Yeah, yeah. Like it's hard to believe that was. Uh, you know, well, I observed it this Saturday, it's almost hardly anything to look at. And then uh, it was just last Saturday that made uh, these, these pretty big observations of like almost a 20 degree tail, 16 or 17 degree tail anyway. And yeah, it's kind of, yeah, that's the way it is. Um, so it was great to be able to get out and enjoy it uh, while it was, while it was hanging around. I uh, did also have some, uh, some time on Jupiter and Saturn last night, but they are pretty low and, and the seeing was uh, forecast to be poor. And I would say that was a fair assessment. I, I couldn't see the red spot last night. I was observing when the red spot was supposed to be coming around. All I could see was like an inconsistency in that band. And on Saturn, I could barely see the, uh, the other, the band that I was, I was looking at uh, a week ago. Yeah. And That's the disappointing thing with the planets in the Northern hemisphere when it's warm out, you know, yeah. they're just so low in the sky that 
Yeah, you know, you're, you're excited to observe them, but you're often disappointed with the view because you're looking through too much atmosphere. Yeah, they're, yeah, they are low. Uh, so it's, it's unfortunate. Um, I kind of had hoped they would be a little bit better, but yeah, they're, they're not, unfortunately. So did look at uh, M4, which is a globular in Scorpius. I looked at the M24, quote unquote, star cloud, which isn't really a star cloud. It's just, just what it looks like. Looked at Messi 8, which is a star frame region, and M20 and M21, which is a, a reflection nebula and open cluster. And I did spend some time on M22, uh, put some power on that, looked at it with around 60 power. Um, it, that was quite nice. Uh, looked at the double cluster in the Andromeda galaxy. And this site is dark enough that, that even though like the Andromeda galaxy isn't in the best part of the sky, um, with my field of view being uh, pretty much three and a half or three and three quarters of a field, uh, the Andromeda galaxy like extends out to the, uh, to the edge, maybe just a little bit beyond. It's hard to get it in the, in the whole field. Uh, so it's, it's that good a sight, uh, which is kind of wow. surprising. Yeah, that's um, really Yeah, so and I was using my Takahashi. I took the TAC 100. I was going to take out the, uh, the 80 millimeter that you had worked on and, uh, and sort of finish the alignment on it. I think I got aligned a little bit better at home. Um, but uh, the conditions seem pretty good when I'm out for a walk. I thought it was going to be windy, and I'm always a little bit nervous about um, too much dust getting kicked up. Dust can be a little bit of an issue here, and thought maybe I'll just take out the inexpensive scope. But uh, there wasn't really that much much wind, so I just took the tack, my 40 millimeter, my 12 and a half, and that five millimeter, and didn't really bother with any filters. Kind of wish I had a chair, but uh, but yeah, I mean that was kind of my my observing session really so yeah it's nice to get out um you know it's interesting that we were observing on different nights uh just to see kind of what the the skies were like and and uh looking at some similar objects yeah so i think that's pretty much it for my observing update i don't know if you have anything uh to add shane but uh, i think i'm i think i'm good and and ready to probably move along to uh what's going to happen in august yeah, why don't we do that? I think this right. is a good uh, good recap of our observing. So let's yeah. move on to August. All right. So uh, before we take off, how can people stay in touch or, or follow us? Or I think there's like Twitter and email and stuff like that. Do you want to tell people about those? Yeah, people can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy. Uh, we try to tweet out... Um, you know, some photos or things that are relevant to the podcast that support what we're talking about, um, as well as just sort of retweet, um, you know, interesting stories or other helpful things that'll get you out of observing. And if you want to email us, you can do that. We are actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening.